This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. All right, Tommy, number 61. 61, wow, there we go. We're we not going to have an asterisk next to this one, are we? No, no, no. You don't know what I, you don't know what that refers to, do you? No idea. I no, you know what it, that would be a podcast. That, <laughs> well, no. Why? What does that mean? What? The sixty moment asterisk next to it. You don't know no, what that means? Nope. What is it? That mean? would be um, when that was put in place when um, this is like a sport called baseball, Pierre. And uh, when Roger oh. Maris broke uh, Babe Ruth's record when he hit sixty run home runs in nineteen sixty one, they put a um, it was already day asterisk had to be put by his number because he had more games than Beirut that they, they reached that number. So they said it, he they did hit six one home runs, but it was a different record. Until, uh-huh. you know, it was this whole big thing. They made a movie, they made like HBO movies about it. People heckled Maris and then okay. Barry Bonds and uh Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds break the record years later, but there's kind of unofficial asterisk ne- next to those because of all the steroids and stuff like that. But that's a whole other podcast. Steroids all and right. baseball. All right, all, all right. Uh, yeah, it's, I was not expecting that. I was just like, "Hey, sixty-one, we made it." Yeah, that just popped into my head. Sorry. Hey, we're just talking, right? Yeah, that's so, right. Um, okay. Baseball, awesome when they, baseball, they don't use their feet, so I know you're not, you're not aware of that one. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. All right, Tommy, what are we talking about today? Right, today, for our sixty-one episode, we're going to be looking um, at the what's our title? Right, the American Vesuvius. Okay, so we're looking at the Mount St. Helen eruption on May eighteenth, nineteen eighty, and the aftermath, what led up to it in the aftermath, and some interesting, some side stories that also took place during this during this event. And just, you know, just doing this research, first of all, I mean, volcanoes are kind of cool, especially when you're little. I feel like volcanoes are kind of cool. Well, you, who, you always make those baking soda volcanoes and stuff like that, you know? Right. They sell kits now. Like, it's all... Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty it's done now. Com- yeah. But did you know that the United States is actually one of the most volcanic countries in the world? Yes, I think people don't realize that, and I think that's yeah. something like it's not obviously Hawaii, yes, but even without just Hawaii, there's a bunch of volcanoes. All of them, a lot of them are underground. Yep, it actually, according to National Geographic, right, the United States boasts more than ten percent of the entire planet's active or potentially active volcanoes. Like that's kind of a lot if you think about it. Yeah. Another thing that I found out I thought was kind of interesting. Technically, like, so we're going to talk about Mount Saint Helens, right? Helens. Yes. But that's part of the Pacific Ring of Fire, which is actually a chain of 160 active volcanoes around the Pacific Rim, right? So this was your idea, by the way. I, you've been like stretching me here with this science thing. Like my, my I mind. Was really solid. I mean, I'll be honest how it came. I was filming the last one in my son's room because it was uh, during the day when we recorded it. And I just looked yeah. on his wall and he had a, uh, has like the alphabet, like with like stickers on his wall. And right next to there was there was the V and it showed volcano. I was like, hey. How about Mount St. Helens? That'd be an interesting podcast. Yeah, it's been, I mean, so, I've been reading up about tectonic plate slips. Well, we're not, I mean, we can talk about plate. that some, so we can talk about that somewhat, but you know, we're going to also, well, there's a lot of history. stuff that goes in there. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes in, into this event. All right. So we're going to talk about the eruption, 1980 eruption at uh, Mount St. Helens. And we'll talk about kind of what it did and, and what it resulted in. And you said some, some fun stories that, well, I mean, as much fun as you can. I think we should start with a little bit of history because, you know, that's what we do of uh, Mount St. Helen. There's actually a really cool story. I'm sure you saw this about the Bridge of the Gods that's kind of told by the indigenous people. 
I know there was something I saw of a Native American once. There used to be a major Native, but they abandoned it. Like obviously, they did um, because it kept on like you know um, erupting. Yeah, erupting. It's, on a, them. it's, it's yeah. a very active volcano. It's a very active volcano. Would you say My it is also in Washington State? A lot of people. Okay, yes. it's in Washington. Yes, State. Washington, Washington State. State. Yeah, it's got. Okay, yeah, talk about that bridge of the gods thing. Go ahead. Yep. So essentially, what what happens is this story goes. Again, this is a indigenous people, Native American lore. And the one major story is that there was a chief of all gods, and this chief had two sons. And these two sons traveled down the Columbia River from, like, the far north, right, in search of, like, this area where they could settle. And they came upon the area today, which is essentially Washington State. And these sons first kind of fought over the land, who gets which piece of the land. So to solve the dispute, the chief of all gods, the father, shot two arrows from his mighty bow one went to the north, one went to the south, and where these arrows landed, that's kind of where the two sons settled. Where what ultimately happens is these two sons fall in love with this beautiful maiden, and she could not choose between them. So they start fighting over her, which causes apparently this like cataclysmic, you know, fires and burning of villages and forests in the process. And then, um, what essentially happens here is, as punishment, the chief of gods struck each down, like each of the lovers, right, and transformed it into gray mountains as they fell. So he basically created Mount Hood, which is the one sun, and then Mount Adams was the other sun, and in between them is Mount St. Helens, which is the one that we're going to talk about today, kind of stems from a Native American name that meant smoking or fire mountain. And so these are these, like, lovers that these three mountain peaks that's kind of the lore of this area but today we're only going to concentrate on, on the middle one and by the way if you watch videos of this like this is intense this has happened obviously before we were alive even though it's only 1980 but like this was like a big deal when well because well, they get to it basically the reason why there was so much it was a huge deal and also they knew it was coming at some point, like they couldn't pick and put the exact date, obviously, but they knew something was happening because one, it was a pretty active volcano. Anyway, I think it was last five hundred years. It had major eruptions already um, that and they, they were, when I say they, these volcanoologists, I believe they're called, right? Yep. They were already kind of, um, they knew something was brewing underneath Washington State, what's called in the stratovolcano. Again, not going to get into all these terms because it's just too much, but um, in less than during a period of less than two months, they saw that there's basically this giant bulge the size of a town appearing underneath the surface on the northern flank. And it just kept on like filling with magma and more and more magma. And that's how they just, they knew something was definitely was on its way. And I think this, yeah. there were a lot of scientists there. They tried getting people around. And um, it, what, what this event really did show was it really made people in the United States realize that, yes, there's a there's volcanoes in Alaska and Hawaii, but there's also, like we said before, a whole bunch just in the, the lower continental United States. And it's something that the people have to be aware of and that the country needed to have some sort of like plan put together to be able to, yep. to deal with it. I mean, based on what I read, they said that if they used what they had learned about reading volcanoes during this 1980 um, eruption, if they, since then, what they have learned, if they knew that back then, they would have been able to really pinpoint it so much better. Yeah. Um, so this was almost like the catalyst for Well, there for was like learning. crazy things happening too. Like even in March of 1980, there was um, like these earthquakes all the time. And these like craters would just open up all over the place. 
So think about that. Like this, he's like pretty decent earthquakes, like 4.0, 4.2 earthquakes all throughout this area by Mount St. Helen and the surrounding areas. And just these like fresh craters are just like opening up all in the ground and stuff like that. So like they, it's unstable. They, they, they know that an eruption is, you know, these are all precursors for an eruption. And yet, um, so they are carrying it off, but there's people that refuse to leave. And then more, more and more scientists and photographers are coming because they want to, you know, get glimpses of it and examine it of what's going on. Crazy. And, and the I reason know, I, I, would do this, I don't know if I would go yeah. to a volcano if I knew it was going to erupt. Yeah, no, probably not. Um, and, and a lot of people will talk about it today that we're around the area. We're like, yeah, I'm not leaving. I don't believe this. I'm staying. <laughs> it's like, eh, yeah, we'll talk about some, uh, one guy in yeah. particular, which we'll get yeah. to, becomes a um, kind of like a. But I, th- I think the reason why we're even discussing this on this podcast is that this is the deadliest and most economically destructive volcanic event in all of United States history. Yeah. By far. Yeah, right. By far. So 57 people were killed in yep. this. And um, they it cost in 1980 over a billion dollars worth of damage, which would be around 3.5 billion today, just to give people like an idea. And we'll talk about some of the other things that it takes. But like, yeah, it just if you ever, if you look at a picture before Mount St. Helen blew up and after, like the landscape is different. Like the mountain's different. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Yeah, it's just, so it's let's, uh, crazy thing, it, yeah. They say that it is definitely the most active volcano in the Cascade Range. Um, when you look at yeah, all the mountains, yeah, Rainier, yeah, it has been the, the mountains, yeah. So, all right, so let's talk about it. It, it was said the 1980s cataclysmic, really, explosion of Mount St. Helens was the volcano's first major eruption in more than 100 years. Right, we know for a fact that there was eruptions in 1800s, mid 1800s. I think the last one was like 1857, um, and after that, it kind of becomes dormant. Uh, prior to that, based on archaeological studies, but also um, geological studies and volcanic studies. We know that Native Americans settled the area. However, they moved out due to the active volcano. Um, Supposedly, the St. Helens major eruption was like four times the size of what happened in 1980. But it is still, to this day, the 1981 is the most powerful volcanic eruption in U.S. history. So you kind of started getting into it, right? Like how this whole thing starts is a little, a couple little earthquakes and people are like, what's going on? Um, well, I say couple. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that in March, it was like thousands of, of little earthquakes. These little right? earthquakes pop around. Yeah. Well, one of the guys we'll talk about, uh, we'll get to him. His name was Harry R. Truman, not Harry S. Truman, Harry R. Truman. Yeah. Um, he actually um, lived about a mile away from the mountain. And he used to say, he used to go to sleep at night wearing spurs to keep himself from falling out of bed. Because all the earth, earthquakes that happen like pretty much daily, constantly. Yeah. That would be like Yeah, ultra March, nineteen eighty. Yeah. Yeah. Like four point two on a Richter scale. Yeah. Which is these are these are decent earthquakes. Like they're, they're gonna be moving, yeah. you know, moving around. And scientists actually come and they set up this base called Cold Water Two. You're gonna hear you see that. If you ever research it, you're gonna see a whole bunch of these things called Cold Water Two. And um that's where they're basically observing the volcano. And they're going to, oh, the mountain that becomes a volcano and they're watching it and they're just, you know, that's where they're, they're radioing things that they see. And then it's really starting to actually quiet down a little bit in early May. And then it starts really picking up um, right right before it it happens, basically. May 18th, right? So it's early morning, Sunday, May 18th, 1980. Um, And actually from a nearby observation post, uh, David Johnston, I think was one of the volcano experts. And he said there was- yeah, and he's like, there was no red flags. He didn't think, predict any catastrophes that were going to happen. It's like, it seems okay. And then at 8.32 um, that morning, 
Pacific Daylight Time, by the way. A magnitude of 5.1 earthquake strikes one mile under Mount St. Helens. And that yeah, triggers well, was, the largest right, triggered, debris yeah. landslide. Well, in right the, before in the that, they noticed that there was like this bulge on top of the mountain. Yeah, you mentioned it was that, actually, right? It was actually over a mile across now. So they're like, all right, something's happening. Like it's 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 this it's pushing up from the surface. And then yeah, at 820, 832 AM, you have the magnitude of the five point one magnitude earthquake, shook the volcano at that very moment. Um, some of the people that were there, they were actually flying overhead in the airplane. It's a husband and wife team. Keith and Doherty Stoffel um, were flying over it, and then they actually um, saw the north face of Mount St. Helens transform into this like rippling, pulsating, churning, and then it just exploded. And a massive volcanic cloud. There's actually lightning bolts, right? Um, yeah. Rocketed into the into the sky, and it was one of the largest debris. And what it did was it also took out an entire um, forest, which we'll get to. I'm sure you saw yeah. about that. Yeah. If you ever Google it and just watch to see these videos, I mean, it looks like a bomb went off. And we'll get we'll talk about the amount of force that this happened. But it, it just leveled all of these like trees. But it, it did more than just level them. It actually like picked them up and put them someplace else. Like it yeah. moved an entire forest, which is crazy. So you're having that. You're having the um, obviously the um, magma is in the gassy magma too, which is this is like superheated air, which is a yeah, you no, know, ash, flying rock, through. volcanic yeah. gas, steam. Um, they said the blast it was moving at over it was moving at over 300 miles per hour. Well, so at one point they were able to reach that. It reached a velocity of up to 670 yeah. miles per hour. Um, and it covered 300, I'm sorry, 230 square miles area north of the volcano with just debris. I mean, it was just like a yeah. blast. And this superheated that went out gas, yeah. 670 it was, miles per hour. Yeah. Nuts. Yeah. It was over 600 degrees Fahrenheit also. So yeah. this is like, I mean, it's just vaporizing everything that it touches. It's just obliterating everything that's there. And um, like 13, 13 miles away from it, plastic bottles and stuff melted in the air, like yeah. melted. That's what they're talking about. And it was they, they, they say that it was really just like, you know, hell on earth. And um, Johnson actually saw this from and from Coldwater too. He jumped on the radio um, and said, you know, Vancouver, Vancouver, this is it. And it pretty much engulfed him. Yeah, he died was, right away. He died instantly. And then there was uh, Jerry Martin was an amateur radio operator who was also observing it from Coldwater. And his last words were, it's going to get me too. Like they're watching this cloud. They're like, you know, this – cloud coming down the mountain they can't get away they're just looking at it and they're like that's it because once it gets they said they probably died for something called heat shock which is like the intense so they said luckily more than likely they felt no pain it's just like a huge compression of like heat that basically just shuts sh shuts you off more nice. or less and then because it's over 600 degrees you're just a, you know there's no remains oh, yeah. it's it's just it turned to ash did you, did you see this that it was estimated in certain areas that the blast reached or actually surpassed supersonic speed in, in some yeah. particular areas. Um, also, another thing that I found interesting is that the thunderous like blast was heard hundreds of miles away, right? Mm -hmm. But it wasn't really heard loudly in the immediate zone around Mount St. Helens because it was like the so-called quiet zone, which I thought was kind of interesting. But the blast tears off, uh, you know, like 1,300 feet of the volcano. Of the top of the 1,300 feet, right? Yeah, it, made, it shot over 8,000 feet into the sky. Yep. Um, it leaves the whole new crater behind. It demolishes every tree within a six-mile inner radius, right? Like, just gone. Um, and it says it's estimated that 4 billion board feet of lumber was destroyed. I mean, this is like, that's what they're known for, is that lumber. I mean, this was economically, uh, you know, we're not even just talking about disaster itself, but the aftermath of that is just surreal but then the ash cloud i mean that gets pretty crazy too 
Yeah, they bl- it blocked out the sun. It does. It's yeah, based, so after yeah, you're right. They said it was 1.4 billion cubic yards worth of ash. And then it yeah. comes down and it's clogging, you know, um, building. It's clogging like sewer drains. It's damaging buildings. Either trunks across the state are all being affected. And there, it's also a lot of it is red hot volcanic uh, gas and stuff like that. That's coming down the mountain, picking up all these like mud flows. It damages over 200 homes, destroys a bunch of bridges, clogs up the rakes, the lakes and rivers. We'll talk about Spirit Lake. I'm sure later on, I'm sure yeah. you read about Spirit Lake. We'll look yeah. at that yeah. a little bit. And um, even though we talked about, and we'll get to a lot of the people who unfortunately lost their lives. Some people actually managed to survive. I saw these story about a couple of these two fishermen that saw what was happening. They jumped into the river and just stayed under the water. Crazy. As the cloud like flew overhead. And then uh, there was a family of hikers that were actually shielded by another mountain was between them and the volcano. And they actually just like happened to like get there. And one reason why so many people did survive for the most part is because this was a popular tourist attraction, but they were forcing so many people to go away. Like they said, you, they're closing, they closed down all the tourist attractions there because they weren't sure what was happening. And it could have yeah, been they said a lot it was over a hundred hikes in the area. Yeah. Like Johnson, the guy, the guy who you know died, who said Vancouver, Vancouver, you know this is it. He probably they say he's credited with saving probably thousands of people's lives by like getting all that stuff shut down before it happened. Crazy. This could have been I saw much that. greater. Did you see that the the cloud, like the ash cloud, actually circled the globe? I thought that was insane. Yeah. It says that it. First of all, when um like you know huge ash cloud mushroomed right vertically into the sky, um they said at least twelve miles up, and then. It produced lightning, as you mentioned before, right? Sparking numerous forest fires. But then it cloud traveled 60 miles per hour and basically turned the day into night in Washington. Yeah. Um, the and then, right? And over the course of the next two weeks, this giant ash cloud literally sent like 200, 200 they say about 520 million tons of ash eastward over 22,000 miles. So it basically circled the globe several times. Until the ash finally fell to the earth, which which looked more or less like snow, which, again, I thought that was insane. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of. Uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world, from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and same thing, like as you mentioned, this idea. Well, you want to get into the Spirit Lake? I mean, well, before that, I'd like to talk about like one of the people who um, I thought was interesting. This oh, the odd story. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Harry R. Truman. Yeah. And basically, he was a World War One, World War Two veteran, and he lived in that area. He was in charge of like uh, not like a, kind of like a parks. Um, worker, right? Mm-hmm. And he lived in a log cabin right over there. And they basically told him to leave. And he's like, I'm not leaving. Um, he used to live there with his wife. His wife died in 1978. He closed the lodge and rented out a handful of boats and cabins and stuff. He lived there over the summer. And he really just didn't care. They kept on, he was, he became kind of a local celebrity or celebrity around the country, really. Um, he's always, people would come in with 
when things started looking weird or looking like something's going to happen. And he would give interviews and express his opinion that, you know, he says, I don't think it's going to blow or not. And if, you know, I don't believe it's going to, I'm not going to pack up. And he had a little concern. It was going to go up. He said, if the mountain goes, I'm going with it. Uh, he's like, you know, there's a lot of timber here. The spirit lake is here. All that's going to protect me. I'm not worried about it. He actually put a bunch of provisions in like a mi- old mining tunnel. He's like, if it goes up, I'm just going to run into the mining tunnel and hang out there for a couple of weeks and stuff like that. They're like, no, it's, it's, that's not how it works. You know what I mean? So law enforcement kept on trying to evacuate him. And he's like, you know, you can't pull me out with a mule team. That's what they basically said. He said the mountain's part of Truman and Truman's part of the mountain. He became like famous for this. Um, basically like um, they talked about, he became like a folk hero. Um, a lot of children in the area wrote like songs and poems to him. A group of children from Oregon sent him um, banners saying, Harry, we love you. They wrote him fan letters and he actually like started crying because they were so sweet. He actually um, took a helicopter ride to visit the kids and say, thank you. And stuff like that. So it was like um, crazy. Um, and later on, yeah. same, they, in re, they sent him um, letters. He actually gave them um, letters in volcanic ash. And then actually, this is kind of sad, later on after the eruption, he obviously gets dis- killed Gosh, in the eruption. Yeah. Um, those same students sold the letter and the volcanic ash and they um, used the money to buy flowers for his family after the oh. eruption. It's a group of oh. fifth graders. But it was like this huge, like, you know, thing. And he was like, there's still a... Um, there's like a plaque for him, right? There's a plaque for him there. there. He basically lives in that lodge with him and he had 16 cats. And, you know, they were all just vaporized. And apparently a lot of people were like, oh, do you think he survived? Do you think he survived? And even his sister was like, you know, if anyone would survive, it would it would have been uh, Harry. But obviously he didn't. There was no way to uh, figure out what could I never happened. got that. But, like if there's a, a cataclysmic, you know, na- nature whatever happening when people don't want to get out of their house, like whether it's a flood or, you know, earthquake or tornado, like, no, I'm not leaving. Like, I don't, I don't understand that. He was an older man. Like he just was like, that's it. This is my, uh, this is a guy who like, you know, saw, he saw. I almost said, I almost said go out with a bang. I feel bad now. (laughs) That's that's rough, man. That's rough. I know. But uh, yeah, he he was just kind of like, he said, yeah, if it goes up, I'm going up with it. He really thought the lake and stuff would protect him. Like we said, and there was a lot of timber, but the explosion was so much that it moved that entire forest. And then Spirit Lake, I think that kind of goes in what you were talking about with Spirit Lake now because it, it destroys that lake for a period of time. Crazy. Well, basically what happens is this they call it a tsunami or an avalanche of just everything, right? Logs and volcanic ash and everything else that's picking up all get taken and just dumped into this lake. Right. And it creates this massive tsunami actually creates a giant wave over 800 feet high. It forces the water, a lot of this water out of the lake and all the volcanic ash and everything else also um, destroys all wildlife in the lake. Everything's dead. And it also um, makes the water um, no, has no oxygen for, for a while. And it just destroys the entire thing. And you can even, you see pictures of this lake. It just looks like there's just, Thousands and thousands of trees all sprued into this lake. And it used to be actually like a very popular like fishing spot and everything. There are fish in it today. What happened was in the 90s, they started reintroducing fish to it. Local fishermen just did it on their own. Um, yeah. But within a couple of years, they started like frogs and stuff started coming back and some algae started coming back, which replenished the oxygen and stuff like that. Um, you are not allowed to, I think you can boat on the lake with a special permit today, but you cannot fish in the lake anymore even though that was like the big thing but this it's kind of and they actually had to um make a um there's like kind of like a the volcano kind of made like a dam and they actually had to build build a tunnel underneath which cost millions of dollars 
so it would drain. Otherwise, it was going to flood the nearby towns. They uh-huh. changed the entire you know geographical landscape of that area. I mean, yeah. I mean, they said besides the fact that you have hundreds of homes and cabins and like just buildings literally wiped out or damaged, right? But it also ripped apart 185 miles of roads, right? And 15 miles of railways. And all of that is just kind of blown up and then part of the debris now. Like that's that's what's sitting in that lake. It's sitting all over the place. It's still there. Yeah. yeah, And as you mentioned with the idea of just the wildlife, um, besides like the water aspect and what, you know, lake wildlife, it is estimated that all birds and small mammals up to 700, I'm sorry, up to 7,000 deer, elk, bear, you know, any big game animals you can think of were killed. I mean, it just, yeah, they, yeah, they weren't getting out. out. Yeah. They just got obliterated. Yeah. It just, I think that's like, it is really kind of cataclysmic. I mean, this is pretty intense stuff. Yeah. And like I said, it was one that they, again, they kind of knew was coming, but they couldn't pinpoint exactly when. So they got most of the people out. The people that unfortunately did pass away were people who refused to leave. And then there were a couple of hikers who refused to leave. And then a lot of photographers and scientists that just couldn't get out in time, which is sad because they kind of knew what was going on, but they still just, you know, stuck around again, this given idea, like when this volcano, um, goes, goes up, it's, it's huge. Like the power is 20, it, it says it erupts with 24 megatons, which is, there's a mass amount of energy. It's 1600 times more powerful than the atomic bombs dropped in Hiroshima. They said it's equal to, it's greater than all the bombs dropped in World War II, plus the atomic bombs. Wow. So you see how like this, um, this massive magnitude of what this was, and in fact, only 57 people died, and then I'm not, you know, diminishing that, those are 57 lives lost, but like it could have been much, much worse. And um, the eruption lasted for, for, day, for hours. It wasn't just like a one time, you know, one eruption. This was like numerous eruptions that were taking place. And it, uh, last, it lasted for more than nine hours. Wow. So this is nine hours of like constant just eruption. And I think we should, we should kind of not avoid the fact that U.S. Geological Survey, right, is very adamant today that Mount St. Helens will likely explode again during our lifetime. Like the agency predicts that there's going to be an explosion, um, of the magnitude of, of, you know, potentially 1980, um, you know, in our lifetime, which is, which I think is crazy. Yeah, I mean, said it could happen, yeah. it's still considered. So the U S geological survey, um, that is done every few years, it was just updated from the last one, which was 2005 They just updated like two years ago. Um, they look at potential threats of American volcanoes. And what that really kind of makes us a big difference is that, a lot of communities have moved close to these volcanoes, which was not really the case 100 years ago, you know what I mean? Or 50 years ago, per se. So they actually rate Mount um, St. Helens as a very high threat to this day in 2021 because of the impact that a potential eruption could have. I mean, the volcano is just over like 50 miles from Portland, Oregon. It's less than 100 miles from Seattle. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day. Yeah, in, in the ash, if, that, if it goes again, the ash is going to go all over the place. Like it's going to it's going to affect those, those that area. So Hawaii is number one um, of the 18 volcanoes that are considered very high threat um, in the United States. Hawaii is number one. Um, then you have Mount St. Helens, uh, which is in obviously Washington, and then Mount Rainier in Washington. And then you have... Uh, a couple one a couple ones in Alaska actually. Alaska's forming a pretty big issue. There's like a fear over Alaska because mainly because of the amount of air traffic. They're saying that right now it's estimated, you know, 
basically air traffic over Alaska's volcanoes is about 60,000 um, each day. You know, people yeah, we know that, that in the past, in 2010, there was an eruption in, um, where was it, in Iceland, right, of a volcano. Yeah. And I remember that, that was being on the news because it, it, it's grounded like over 100,000 flights, stranding millions of passengers because the planes couldn't fly through it because one, they couldn't, couldn't see, but see. also all the ashes getting into the gen engines and forget about it. So yeah. that, that, that can happen again. And if that happens over Alaska, that's also going to just shut down air travel. Like yeah. That's it. I mean, engine it's erosion, not, clogged not, air filters. You just right, can't do complete it. Engine, yeah, failure. It's, it's nuts. I just, you know, I was surprised of how many, I mean, most, like I said, most of the ones that are very high threat lists are, I mean, obviously they're all in the Western, right? But it's Hawaii, Washington, Alaska, Oregon, California, Alaska, 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 Washington, Washington, Hawaii. You know what I mean? Like they're all West yeah. Coast. Nuts. Kind of scary. Well, then, but I think the one that's like, I guess, is scary, but it's probably um, not going to happen anytime soon because it would be kind of the end of everything. Is the super volcano that's underneath Yellow Nationalstone Park? Yeah. And they have said if yep. that um, if that ever yep. spews ash, like it's going to cover the entire United States. It's going to cover crops. It's going to shut down power plants. Um, you know, so I think that's insane that like we live in a world where. We think we could predict so much, but at the end of the day, like imagine like Yellowstone just erupts. I mean, what? They said that's it. Like if Yellowstone erupts, it's no. no oh, one day. I, I'll definitely yeah. go one day. But yeah. like, I'm not going to attack, you know, I'm not going to try to take selfies with bison. Like, uh, like you see all those people on TV. Yeah, you see yeah. all the time. I've, I've always get that always pops up. Like so-and-so gets injured. They try to take a selfie with like a bison or like a yeah, grizzly no. bear. And like, they're wondering what happens. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, I, anyway, well, whatever. Anyway. Um, this is one of those things. Well, that even goes back to um, with Mount St. Helen today. You can go there today. Yeah. It's actually open year-round, late spring, early fall. You can go there. Um, you can go up You can go up to the outer ridge, and you actually are allowed to climb to the um, crater. You just can't go into the crater. That's strictly prohibited because, like, it's still it's dangerous. And But you can you see pictures of people, there. like, sitting around. Yeah, the people still do it. People still do it. But, like, they, they try to enforce that you don't go into the crater. You can go to the outer rim of the crater. You can um, definitely go there. It's a very popular area just because of like the wilderness and also the history behind and it. And it's the it's a national volcanic monument right now. Since yeah. um, 1982, Congress set aside like 110,000 acres, basically. Also, yeah, trees. Also- they say in forests, vegetation is growing. Um, mammals have resettled the area. As you mentioned before, Spirit Lake is kind of being reborn. So more or less, like, I mean, it's coming back. Yeah, they said right. even the mountain itself healed part of itself when lava came out and cooled and actually like filled in some of those things. I mean, it looks very different. The peak of the mountain is no longer there. Yeah, no. Um, so again, if you look at the pictures, you can see that they're actually fascinating pictures to look at, like the side by side. Did you see that? However, like by 86, there was still like 17 additional blasts that took place there. And now like a, a new lava dome was formed. Yeah. Later. Um, yeah, there was over 17. Yeah. Yeah. They call them episodes whenever like lava comes out and it began filling. It built like a lava dome and reached 876 feet or something like that, like a cross. So that, that was big. Um, and in 2004, it was the, when you had, when it restarted again, right? It was pretty inactive from 86 to. Well, they erupted continuously. Again, when you say erupted, these aren't like massive eruptions, but it basically means like smoke and ash, all that stuff is coming yeah. out. It, it did it continuously for four years. So yeah. if you think about it, like that's, and then that's when the lava dome actually you know, grew bigger and stuff like that. Yeah, so. between 2004 and 
which they said it like it dumped enough lava into the crater floor to like fill up 36,000 Olympic swimming pools. Um, and then by 19, I'm sorry, by 2013, two lava domes created from the continual lava flow had like filled about 7% of the original blast crater. So it's slowly it's filling. Back. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's healing itself, basically. Isn't it crazy how that works? Well, that's, uh, that's, 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 that's nature, I guess, right? We but should yeah, also mention that, like, what really started this was an earthquake that kind of just, like, pushed it over the edge and made that bubble burst. But yeah, in 19, a- in 1980, I'm sorry, I can't say 19, I don't know why. In 2018, right, at least 40 earthquakes in just that area have occurred. And one registered 3.9 on a Richter scale. So, like, 40 earthquakes in just three years ago in that same area? That's a little scary if you think about it. They it's don't point high, to, it, like, an imminent eruption or anything. But, like, it no, does it, Right now, that, it's pretty much what it's, it's considered within normal standards, yes. I guess. Still active. But, um, it's still active. Well, yeah, I mean, they're active but, volcanoes. Yeah. Remember that movie? Year, there was a movie years ago. I think it was called Volcano Dante's or something. Speed. Well, that was another one, but there's also, yeah, one that I think it was called Volcano. It's like Tommy Lee Jones, like a volcano erupted in like LA or something like that. I remember that movie I just vaguely, and they stopped the lava flow by like putting like, um, they got like those like highway dividers, those concrete okay. dividers, and just like redirected the lava flow and like dumped a bunch of water on it, which actually is based on something that I think, believe they did in Iceland a couple of years earlier. I literally just looked it up. I don't know why I remember that movie, right? It's Tommy Lee Jones and like Anne Heche or something like that, right? Yeah. How am I remembering that right now? I don't know. It's like this obscure 1997 movie. 1997. Wow. Yeah, I remember seeing it. It was like, oh, yeah, this is okay. They're fighting lava. That was like when, remember, they used to always come out with all those disaster movies. It was like Twister and Volcano, Dante's Peak. It was like all those big disaster movies, which, you know, they come and and go. But this this was a real life one, Uh, or, you know, the Mountain St. Helens. That just huh. leveled. Think about that too all the time. I know I've said it before, but the, the, just you know that it was sixteen thousand times more power, sixteen hundred times more powerful than the, the Hiroshima bomb. Like that's crazy. That's nuts. If you that think about twenty four megatons of type of power, which was just like unleashed. Nuts. Imagine if that happens by a city. There's no more city. That's it. Wow. So, um, so do you have any fun facts before we uh, we let this one go? Well, we're kind of looking at a lot of them. I feel like them, we, we but, did uh, a lot of them. Right, kind of right? touching a lot. We're talking about all these different things. I know one that was interesting that I guess we didn't talk about is that um, it actually um, – the snow and rock accumulating in the in the crater is actually the mm-hmm. youngest glacier now on Earth. So they actually they're, – really? they're, it's followed by scientists now because they're able to like, examine it and look and say, like, all right, this is how glaciers are actually formed and we can actually watch one being formed because it is the youngest glacier on Earth. So that was, you know, it's a little bit interesting there. If you're in, if you're a glacier follower, you know, all right. <laughs> something to follow. Well, cheer it on. Considering that Glacier National Park is losing all its glaciers, I was there a couple of years ago, and I was and the the national um the park ranger was like, take pictures of this because these glaciers are disappearing. It's like oh, crazy. It was also the um, largest um, landslide, terrestrial landslide in recorded history. Okay. Okay. Of all the stuff just flying down that mountain, remember so fast too. So, anyway, I think this was a this was a fun little episode. Well, right. yeah. I mean, I, again, I don't want to use the word fun there, Pete, but probably like interesting, maybe thought provoking. Um, <laughs> fun. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I guess maybe because not. we're talking about it, you know, all this all this time, you know, after it took place. I can't place. believe how recent it, this was. Like, I just it really was. It was before our time, but not that much before us. Yeah. Obviously, not obviously. As kids, I remember kind of hearing about it. 
I'm sure a lot of our listeners, of- you know, uh, you know, that people that are listening to this right now, you guys might have been alive when this happened. Maybe this was one of those like, where were you when this happened? I mean, definitely, if you are from Washington State, this would have been something. Or a big deal you're from there, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. because you can. It's just one of those events. I mean, it is a major event. It's the most destructive volcanic eruption in U.S. history. Cray, cray. Anyway, well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in once more. We really, truly appreciate it. If you need to find us, please look for us online at historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. You could also find us on various social media outlets. And please do not be afraid to click that subscribe button. It, it helps. Not monetarily, because we don't have any money for it. We don't get any money. Yes, we don't collect any money for this. It's not (laughs) why we do it. This yet, no, yeah. However, it does help. So, with that, I hope you guys have a nice week, and I'll see you guys next week. Enjoy. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Around 10,000 BCE, families and tribes of the ancestors to the people of Britain would arrive in the southern part of the island after crossing from land that bridged from Europe. The Welsh built houses, communities, kingdoms, and continued to survive through Romans, Saxons, Danes, and Normans. The language and culture influenced by these sources continued to change and thrive, becoming ancient and modern at the same time. Join me as we travel through the history, meeting the kings, queens, nobles, and everyday people that create and grew modern Wales from the seeds of the ancient past. Creoso, and welcome to the Welsh History Podcast.